Welcome to the On Point Podcast, a channel dedicated to helping you be the best hunter you can be. On Point is designed to help motivate and inspire you to get more out of yourself and your gear during your next hunt. If you're looking for information that will directly impact your success and help inspire you to go on new adventures, whether you're hunting with a bow or a rifle, On Point is the channel for you. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the podcast where I get to sit down with Mike Batiste from the Elk Calling Academy and we get to go over what I saw this elk season, what he experienced this elk season. I get to ask him questions about some scenarios and some things that I haven't ran across in the elk woods before, especially hunting a trophy elk unit in Oregon where we got to see the really cool dynamics between a big bull with some cows, some satellite bulls, and then some really big satellite bull that was definitely a challenger to that bull where he definitely posed a threat and then getting in and just seeing all the dynamics of how everything played out. There's a lot of questions to come from that. And then asking a guy like Mike really does help speed up the learning curve. So this is just me asking questions, genuine questions from this elk season. We cover some things that I learned, some things that Mike saw, and it's really made for a really good conversation about elk hunting and how we both did this elk season. So I hope you guys enjoy. I'll see you in the end. Bye. Well, thanks for thanks for coming back on to the show, Mike. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of good feedback from last episode we did, and you no, know, I just wanted to get you back on here now that elk season's over. So, oh, it's 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 my pleasure. In fact, when that <clears throat> you know when you sent sent me that message and said, "Hey, do you want to come back on?" I'm like, "Is is is this a serious?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No. Yeah, it was, you know, I've, I, I got a lot of good feedback and I think guys, you know, especially like me that, you know, we've been into the elk and now we're, we're figuring out why we're not getting success because I, I was talking to my hunting partner this year and, and, you know, we're starting to get pretty consistent on killing elk and, you know, it, it only took me eight years, but I got to that point, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, you know, wh what our problem is and, and then you see it on all the Facebook pages is the 10%. I'm like, everybody can get that 90% done, but that last 10% is where people fail. And that's pretty much from the point when they hear a bugle to killing the elk. That's that 10%. Everybody else can get themselves there. They can get the bugles. They can either get in range, but once they're there, that 10% is what really kills everybody. And that, that was our problem. And now we're starting to capitalize on that 10%. <laughs> You know, it was absolutely crazy this year because all throughout the whole entire month, I don't have a ton of cell coverage up where I hunt, but, you know, once in a while we'll get high enough up that, uh, you know, we'll get coverage. And then, man, all of a sudden messages from students, <laughs> people started chiming in and they're like, hey, we're 400 yards away from a bull and he's doing this and what should we do? And I'm like, um get off your phone and go hunt. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was really cool getting, you know, the messages and, and, you know, given, you know, a little bit of feedback, Hey, try this, try that. And then hearing back from them, it was just, it, it was, it, it, it was pretty cool. I imagine. I mean, I, I get, I got a few guys that was like, Hey man, I use, you know, I watched your arrow episode and, and I used your arrow setup or some setup, you know, I use the footers or I use this broadhead based on your video. I'm like, sweet, man. And, you know, I, I used your tuning to, to shoot that ball. I'm like, that's, it just makes it so easy to go out and create content and help people when you 
just that little sliver of feedback that you get, it just makes it worth it. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think for some people that when you, when you, have done something for a long time and you enjoy, enjoy success on a regular basis. And then when you have that ability to help others and you, you see somebody, you know, connect on their first bowl and, and you, you hear their excitement and their story and it takes you back to when you started and you kind of reconnect with how this whole journey started. And it's like, mm-hmm man, I know exactly what you're feeling because I'm tapping into what I felt that day 30 years ago. And right. it's, it's, yeah, you're, you're right. It's just absolutely. And in fact, I feel better and more excited about the Elk Calling Academy students' success than I do yeah. my own success because I think it kind of solidifies that maybe I'm not totally completely full of it that maybe there is a little bit of truth to what I'm saying when right. I'm teaching but yeah it's it's so cool to hear their stories well and and you had a lot of pictures you know here's another elk uh, academy student here's another one here's another one I mean I must have saw 15 or 20 that you posted pictures of I'm like that's pretty freaking cool I mean I, I yeah, watched I one video of uh, Jimmy Glacier I think that's yep. how you pronounce his last name and uh, he had more success in his first ever elk hunt than I did like the first four years I ever hunted. And I'm like, man, just the, the learning curve that guys are able to get by subscribing to, you know, a guy like you or, or listening to podcasts. It just, it is incredible how good you can get, how quick. So, you know, and that's the whole deal, shorten that learning curve. Cause I remember what it was like, but yeah, Jimmy, I mean, uh, you know, he's done a ton of work and I mean, he has really, really put in the time and he's done a great job on, you know, uh, mastering his calls, mastering his tones and, mm-hmm. and, and also recognizing, and he goes from Wisconsin out to Colorado and the first evening he keeps his posure, composure enough to realize the situation and analyze what's going on and say the right things back to where he had a really good solid bull charge him mm-hmm. to 12 yards. Wisconsin Flatlander coming out to Colorado <laughs> yeah. first night. And I mean, the message that he sent me and stuff, and I mean, just the excitement in his voice. I was, I was reading, you know, some of these messages to some of my hunting partners and showing pictures and we were all just smiling and, and, and yeah, that one of Jimmy's, they were all like, no way. I'm like, that was yeah. a big bull he had come in too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, one of those things, just a small little branch that couldn't be seen. And, and I mean, but you know, what he, t- what he takes away from that and, and what he's going to hold moving ahead, I think is just tremendous i'm excited to you know watch his journey so i I bet he ends up getting one here in the next year or two for sure but you know especially if he keeps after it like he is and and uh just living through the you know the the client success is just it's totally worth it and it and it i don't know i I get more out of helping others anymore than i do my you know getting myself one minus the bull i got this year that was that was kind of a grudge match (laughs) an eight-year grudge match (laughs) you know and and what's funny about so, you know, Pitchfork, right? Oh, back that's here. him right there, huh? Yeah, that's, that's, that's Pitchfork from this year. What was, what was funny was, um, you know, because we started in the camp, there was four of us in the camp, and we had two others that were kind of some friends of mine that 
their area just got flooded. So they called me and I said, okay, great here. I'm going to give you an area. You go hunt it, but keep me posted on what you're seeing. Cause you know, if we're seeing more elk, then you're going to come over and join us. If you're seeing more elk, we're going to come over and join you. And so the four of us were sitting there hunting and in, in camp one evening. And I said, okay, we're going to, we're going to split up two and two. Cause we had been going all four and basically kind of running two shooters, a caller and a cameraman type deal. And so I said, okay, we're going to split up tomorrow. I said, you two young guys take the mid mountain trail. Bryce and I, you know, I'm, I'm 48, Bryce is 45, 46. Bryce and I have, have hunted together a lot of years. And I said, but Bryce and I are going to take the lower trail. And the young guys kind of said, huh, <laughs> yes, young guys are going to show you old guys how to do it. And, and Bryce and I just kind of chuckled. And that's the wrong thing you want to say to Bryce and I. But, <laughs> but we, we got back in there and I threw off a locate bugle and we got three answers, low, mid, and high. And I, I, looked at Bryce and I said, Hey, we just got to go up here a little bit. There's a, there's a cut through this brush should be able to pull that low bull over. And so we got up there and we got set up and my whole intent was call call for Bryce this day. It was just going to focus on Bryce, get his tag punched. Well, when we get set up, the low bull clams up, but the mid bull and the high bull keep going. And so, you know, I, I Turkey yelp. That's how, that's how we normally communicate between shooter caller and I Turkey yelp and he comes over to me and, I said, we got to get up on his same level. And Bryce was like, I know what we got to do, but I don't want to do it because it was, it was a pretty, pretty dang steep face. And so we started up, we go, and we had to scale across a rock face. We had to go through brush and this and that. And finally we break out. We've got about 10 more yards to go. <clears throat> and I told Bryce, hey, go over to that pine tree right over there. Go to that tree. I'm going to get up on this level. He should just come right in. Well, I got set up and when I set up, that low bull bugled. Well, Bryce thought that that mid bull had dropped down, so he peeled left instead of going to the tree. I let a couple of cow calls go, nothing, let a couple of more cow calls, and then it sounded like a truck coming through that brush. And I didn't even have an arrow knocked. I was sitting on my knees and I'm like, dang it, I might even get a shot opportunity. So I knocked an arrow real quick just in time for Pitchfork to come out. And I'm, I didn't know Bryce had peeled left. I thought he was right by that tree. And I'm like, okay, this bull is eight yards from him. And I'm waiting for Bryce's bow to go off. Hmm. And it's not going off. And I'm like, this bull is 16 yards looking right at me. And so I'm like, okay. So I drew back real easy and anchored. And okay, Bryce's bow was going to go off. Bryce's bow was going to go off. It's not going off. And he turned his head and I saw that funky antler on his right hand side. And I'm like, freak bolt, boom. <laughs> and he, he, he wheels and runs off. And then Bryce comes up to me and I said, what the heck happened? That bull should have been eight yards. And he goes, oh no, I peeled down here. And I'm like, why? And he goes, you told me to go to the pine tree. And I said, yeah. And he starts looking around and he goes, <laughs> how many pine trees are right here? And I'm like, okay, I'll give you that one. <laughs> I said, but I pointed. So, huh. so yeah, I wasn't actually hunting for myself that day. I was actually, you know, calling for Bryce and it's just, you know, one of those things that, that it, it just happened. And I mean, we've talked about this before that uh, I'm not going to pass on a funky horn bull. I just, I can't do it. <laughs> so. It's a cool bull, man. I mean, and it sounds like it was a what frontal or yeah. Frontal at 16 yards. So, right on. Did, and, uh, what kind of what kind of arrow and broadhead were you using and stuff? 
So um, I, I was shooting the Black Eagle X Impacts. Okay. With the uh, QAD Exodus broadhead. Oh, so, I was going to ask how, the Exodus. Uh huh. How do you like those? Love it. Really? Because so, I was planning on using those. I haven't tried them yet, and I was like, man, if I don't fill my mule deer tag over in Idaho and I go back, I'll pop, maybe I'll try an Exodus head for the first time this year. And so you know, when when I did that seminar uh, over in Etna, Wyoming. Um, on Saturday, we kind of took a break and we did a little broadhead test for the people that were there at the seminar. And I think we had the QAD Exodus, we had the Tooth of the Arrow, um, we had a Ramcat, um, G5, and I don't know, we, we had five or six broadheads. And, and so Neil and I were shooting three and three. The first thing we did was a sound test to where we got everybody off to the side and we got back 40 yards so they could hear. Um, the QAD and the tooth of the arrow were the two that they said were the quietest. But then we moved up to 20 yards and we kind of started, we, we shot these uh, uh, cinder rocks, these fake rocks, you yeah. know, uh, just to see, you know, we didn't care if the arrows got destroyed. We, we, we threw them on some cheap arrows, but we wanted to see what the broadheads were going to do in those. And the QAD and the tooth and the tooth of the arrow both look like you could just hit them and sharpen them and reuse them. The ferrules mm -hmm. were solid. The blades were solid. But yeah, I've taken, I've, I've shot the QAD Exodus for the last two years, um, taken two bulls and both bulls have been down within 15, 20 seconds. Oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah. I shot tooth of the arrow last year on a black tail and, uh, you know, had good success with them. You know, they flew good. I didn't have any problems with durability. And then, um, I've seen some, I've seen some broken blades on them and stuff, but I mean, nothing's indestructible. Yeah. I know I've shot them into cinder blocks too, and they look perfectly fine, mm -hmm. and, you know, and we're talking like 15, 20 yards and you could still shoot something with it and kill it without even sharpen it. So it, yeah. it's a pretty solid head. I like tooth of the arrow, but I haven't played with the Exodus, but I like the way they look. Um, they look, they look like a solid head and it's just one that I haven't tested out yet. So I've had, have had great luck with it. And I'll, I mean, that blood trail this year was, I, I mean, I, I posted a, a brief video mm -hmm. on it and it was just mm -hmm. massive, massive dem devastation. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just, it was incredible. Hmm. I, I killed uh, three things this year with the kudu speaking about blood trails and stuff. And I wanted to really get, my own experience with those heads because that's probably one of the most debated heads out there. And, yeah. uh, you know, are they too weak? How are the blood trails, this and that? And I'm like, well, let me form my own opinion here, not just test them out, but I'm going to use them. And, uh, really, really intermittent with them. You know, they all held up, none of them bent, but I'll tell you the blood trails, they weren't there for me. I, I shot that one bull at 18 yards. I mean, barely above the heart, maybe, maybe an inch far back of the heart. So it's just, you know, two inches, maybe really, really good shot. I mean, it was perfect. It wasn't high, so the body cavity didn't have to fill up too much. And I got two drops of blood on that bull, two drops. And he died within 50 yards. And even where he tipped over, because he stood there for a while, even where he tipped over, there's no blood. I mean, hmm. it just, it, it, I was shocked. I'm like, man, I'm going to have a bloodbath on that one. I mean, even where he's standing, I mean, there was nothing. And then when you uh, went up to him, there's no blood down the side. It was... And then when I poked a hole with my knife in the lungs, it just went poof. It was like, it just, it sealed back up. You know, it didn't, it didn't, yeah. it didn't, I don't know. It was really weird. I'd, I'd never seen that before. Um, and then that buck I killed this year, um, 
got pretty good blood on that one, but the blue wildebeest I shot didn't, I mean, didn't have the best blood either. So do, do, do they work? Yeah, they work, but you know, blood trails are, are an issue with them. So, yeah. And then, so like I said, I, I switched to the QADX this last year and I did a lot of broadhead testing. Uh Um, you know, I, I think I picked, uh, five or six different broadheads and started, you know, testing side by side and, it came down to the QAD and that Kudu. I mean, they were both performing mm. neck and neck. And I just, I went with the QAD because I like the three blade or a four blade. Same so. here. If I start going back to a two blade, it'll be with bleeders again. I just like that feeling of having yeah. that little extra slice to make sure it doesn't seal back up. Cause I think those, those single bevels, they do produce, you know, a good wound channel once they twist and stuff. But I feel like you are, you do have a really good chance of not having a blood trail. Um, and, I don't know. I got, I got mixed feelings about them. You know, I, I found everything I shot with them. Everything I shot with them has died quickly, but at the same time, I like, I like, uh, you know, red carpets at the same time. So, and yes. I've never really had yes. a problem with yes. it. Makes it a little easier to find. It does. It does. So, um, so I kind of wanted to recap. Um, so I had some questions after this year, we had a really good bull tag. Um, my buddy's wife had one. And so my goal, all of our goals was to fill our tags as quickly as possible. So we could focus on Shelby's hunt and there was things i hadn't seen before um there were some things that i'm like you know what do you do like we're we are going by the playbook here and we are still not selling the deal and um i just i really wanted to pick your brain on it because i just you know i don't get frustrated but i do get a little irritated when i i'm not having success and i know why but when i'm not having success and i don't know why that's when i start getting a little frustrated it's like man what's going on here and so I think a lot of guys run into the same issues and you already went over it. Um, you said that one ball, that one bowl kind of went silent on you, the bottom bowl. And, uh, we had bowls do that. Just, you start getting inside their wheelhouse and then they, they'd shut up. And it's like, man, once you got within that 80 yards, they just wouldn't talk. It didn't matter how thick it was. Didn't matter if your wind was right. And, uh, and we're like, okay, well, we're just going to find the, the right bowl. You know, there's enough bowls here. One's going to eventually stand around. And, um, what's, what, what do you think is going on there when they just clam up like that? You know, it was, so this year was actually one of the tougher years for calling that I can remember in, in a long time. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, second week of the season, we're still seeing bulls and bachelor groups, you know, they're, they're really not showing, you know, much interest in breaking up and going and getting cows. And, you know, I think sometimes when you get in that scenario where you start pressing, you know, a bull or really breaking in and you, you, you know, you break his comfort bubble. So, um, you, you know, you, you see it quite often where you get that bull that from a hundred, 150, 200 yards out, he'll answer you every single time. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you break that hundred yard mark, <clears throat> you can't get him to respond until he gets that distance back again. Right. And, and, and I kind of call those bulls keyboard warriors. We've <laughs> all seen them on forums. We've all seen them in Facebook, you know, yes. in rooms that there's, there's those keyboard warriors that, and, and I think bulls act that way sometimes, um, you know, and, and, and it could be a lot of different factors. It, it could be that he's really not that mature of a bull that he happened to, um, you know, gather up some cows 
And he's just kind of learned that, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll sing and talk to the big boys from a distance, but as soon as they start breaking in and get close and now all of a sudden there's a threat or a chance that I might lose my three cows. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of go, go quiet in, until I keep that distance. Cause as long as I keep that distance, he's really not going to know how big I actually am or, mm-hmm. or, or this or that. And so I, you know, a lot of times I think that's really what it is, is, is that you, because um, what was it? The third day or second, second or third day of the season. Um, you know, we, we, we got into seven different bulls mm. and the big bull in the group was a little spindly four by four that had a dozen cows. Really? But what's crazy is you roll around this face and there's Trident, who Trident's probably, you know, a 320, 330 class bull. Uh, You know, there's the big six. So, you know, there's these big bulls that are living right in this area where this four by four is. And the fact that he had 12 cows. So um, I've heard that early season, those uh, those bigger bulls will let the younger bulls, you know, get the cows form. And then when the cows start getting hot, they'll just kick them out too. And there was one really aggressive bull, the one that we ended up shooting, um, that he was a very, I've never seen a bull this aggressive. Granted, you know, his cows didn't want to have any, any of anything to do with anything. Um, they just wanted him. And if another bull bugled or we bugled, the cows would move off and he would just follow the cows. And then, um, it just, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that one big bull we were hunting had all the other bulls kind of timid and, uh, we, we saw it even with our own eyes. Cause right when, right before we got that shot, we were trying, I don't know if you saw the pictures of the wonky bull I posted. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably about 10 minutes before she shot that big bull. And when that big bull came in running, those three satellites took off, like just hauled butt out of there. And so <laughs> I'm like, well, maybe that's what it was. Cause when we started getting in close, he'd bugle, but it would be really quiet. And I think it's because that big bull was right, you know, only about 80 yards from him. It was just really weird seeing all of these bulls because we, we followed that satellite herd, um, three, three smaller bulls, one of them being a really nice wonky bull. I mean, really nice. The other one's maybe a 240 and a 280 bull, mm-hmm. um, which she wouldn't have shot. But, uh, you know, they were following that same big bulls herd the four days that we were on that bull and it was just really cool seeing how everything kind of played out and interacting. It was, it, it, it absolutely, it was such a learning experience. It was awesome. I mean, and, and, and in that situation, you, you definitely, you can recognize their pecking order. Yeah. So I, I mean, you know, because, because that's, that's what they do during that pre rut. They establish their pecking order. They establish who the dominant bull is and, 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 and yeah, I've, I've been in situations like that before where, you know, you've been calling and you're not getting any answers, but as soon as that top bull sounds off, then the rest of them just start trickling <laughs> and yeah. they start firing off. Yeah. So it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's funny recognizing those pecking orders and, and seeing how they've, how they've established themselves and how those subordinate bulls respond to that yeah. herd bull. It is really cool. Well, I want to go over another scenario with you because we, like I said, we were on a 350, 360, somewhere in that, in that range bull. And, um, you know, biggest bull I've ever seen with my own eyes. I mean, I, I haven't seen very many huge bulls before. And, uh, so I'd seen a couple of the biggest bulls of my life on this trip. And, uh, he had about five or six cows with him. 
we found him at one o'clock uh, bugling. And uh, so we're like, oh, it's on. You're dead. You're bugling in the middle of the day. We're going to get right on you and, and uh, we're going to kill you. Well, that turned into a four-day <laughs> four or ordeal morning, sometimes in the midday. And then every evening we were on that bull for four days. And then uh, on the fourth day, on the fourth morning, um, he finally churns. But he had a hot cow with him. How do you beat a hot cow? Because we did everything. We, we got within 15 yards of him and challenge, challenge, challenge. I mean, we even split his herd one time on accident. Right. And uh, he was with the hot cow and he didn't care if we had all five of his cows because he had the hot sixth one. So yeah. what do you do there? You know, pulling a bull away from a hot cow is one of the toughest things, if not nearly impossible things that, that are out there. Cause you know, if you really sit there and listen to when a herd bull has a hot cow and what's really going on with the herd dynamics, you have a ton of excitement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have all these cows and calves mewing and chirping and, you know, you have that herd bull being really, really vocal but then you have all these satellite bulls that are bugling as well mm -hmm. too, because you know, they're trying to maybe come in and, and cut that hot cow away. So he's already used to having all these flies buzzing in his ears with all these satellites. So by people going and trying to bugle that bull, you're falling in the same ranks as mm. all those other satellite I mean, he's, he's used to it. And that's also why he's just going to stick on her side like Velcro. He's not going to get away from her. Yeah. It's one of those things that are just tough. I mean, you just kind of really got to stay after him. And it's, it's almost like you, you don't bugle at him anymore. Your, your focus is on that hot cow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, that's where, you know, you kind of do some lip ball bugles and some raking and you're basically displaying for that hot cow is, is what you're doing. And, you know, you're kind of planting a seed in her head that, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty dominant bull. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe you need to choose me as the one to, you know, do the breeding. You got to get in really, really tight and close, um, you know, to really be effective on this. And then that's kind of that gamble too, because you have all those other sets of eyes, you have all that activity going on. And if he does leave that cow to run another bull off, he's not going to go very far at all. Right. Uh, and in fact, uh, the mountain project on YouTube. So they have a video, I think it's video uh, number 42. I think it is about the first five minutes of that video are, this exact scenario, a herd bull with a hot cow. That is such a great video. In fact, I, I, I recommend that to a lot of students so that they can really get an idea of what to expect when there's a hot cow in the area. Hmm. And, and I tell him, I said, just watch his behavior. Watch how far he goes away from that hot cow. Watch, you know, watch what he does. Um, and that's basically what's going on when you're hearing that. And so that kind of shows you how much distance, you know, he's going to move away. So it's one of those mm -hmm. things where you just got to get yourself in that perfect scenario to where if he does get 20 yards from her or whatever, and you know, you've got a 40 yard opening, that might be the only way mm 
Hmm. that you're going to pull her away. A lot of times, honestly, um, you can spend so much time and so much effort on that, that you almost lose that morning or that day or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you were to come back the next day and that cow was no longer in estrus, she was no longer in cycle, the chances of you having a good interaction or calling that herd bull in go up dramatically. So, mm -hmm. so there's times that, you know, if we've, if, if we've got a bull and, and we could tell he's got a hot cow, we'll mess with him for a little bit just to kind of feel the situation. And we might finally just go, you know what? Hey, let's just peel off. Let's come back and get on him tomorrow when this cow's, you know, not in because, you know, that's where we, we talked about the breeding sequence a little bit on the first podcast we did. Yeah. And that's, what's great because you almost flip the script on him because now you come back in the next day, you get in close and then you start doing this breeding sequence where you're the bull mm -hmm. with the hot cow. Well, that dude's going to get a little greedy and he's like, wait a minute, I bred this cow yesterday. Yeah. Maybe I want to go over and breed that cow today. And, <laughs> and that just really, really increases, you know, your, your opportunities. But yeah, pulling him away from a hot cow yeah. is, is, Really tough. Well, we all think that this said hot cow was uh, also the lead cow because uh, it was everything. We actually, like you said, we switched after um, after about three days, you know, so about the third evening. We kind of switched our tactics to where, well, if we keep doing this, she's just going to keep doing this. You know, she's just going to – so I'm like, we need to start sneaking in there and hunting, basically hunting her because mm -hmm. we're knocking – I mean, we – what's you know the definition of an, of an insanity is just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and but our same you know our we also kept telling each other at the same time you know if we keep getting in close on like i said we were 15 yards from him and then his herd was on the other side and we watched him rake for five or ten minutes but no shot i mean it was just so close and we were bugling right at him at that range and again he just wouldn't come that extra five yards and uh so what we did is we kind of switched tactics and, but we also, like I said, we also kept saying, well, if we keep getting in close, eventually he's going to turn. <laughs> and then, uh, on that fourth morning, I think it was literally, like you said, finding the right scenario. Cause we had, um, we saw two other satellite bulls, um, that we'd seen previous days. They were within a hundred yards of him and we were there and I was raking, you know, display this display that, and then challenging him when he would bugle back and, doing all this stuff. And then, um, he chases that other bowl off. And then as soon as that other bowl starts running, um, I didn't get to see it. I wish I did, but Shelby and Anthony told me he literally as fast as he could was going over like four foot tall reprod trees. Didn't care what was in his way. He was on a full bore sprint to me and, uh, she was already at full draw. And then he looked over and stopped dead in his tracks. And they're like, we don't know why he stopped. We didn't move. He's like, I think he just knew that we weren't there before or something like, I don't know. And, uh, that, and that's a, ended up when she shot him, but it was that perfect scenario. I think it was just finally too much. And then he probably actually saw that, that satellite bowl and he's like, okay, there's actually other bowls in here. I need to take care of. I don't know. It was, it was incredible. I wish we had it on film. I mean, it was the cool, one of the coolest elk hunting experiences I've ever had. Yeah, sometimes with those guys, it, 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 it takes dedication. It takes a few times. It takes a few interactions to I, – I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you, you touched on it earlier where 
you know, getting a little frustrated when you're doing everything right, but still not getting yeah. call-ins. I, I mean, we are dealing with wild animals. I mean, <laughs> I, I wish I could say there was, there was one thing that works a hundred percent of the time, but un, right. unfortunately, you know, dealing with wild animals that, I mean, you could have everything. You could have the perfect setup. You mm-hmm. could be doing the perfect routine. Your calls are sounding on. And if that bull just decides that he just is not going to come, he's not going to come. I, I mean, it's just, but then on the flip side, it's, it, it's funny. You can squeak and honk and pop on a reed and you're like, oh my gosh, that sounds <laughs> awful. And then all of a sudden, you know, you hear the footsteps are coming and it's like, yeah. seriously, yeah. I have been after you for four days with perfect tones and you haven't even given me the time of the day. Right. And you know what? I slammed the door on the truck on accident. I accidentally hit the key, which <laughs> triggered the alarm and it beep, beep, beep for a few times. And now this, and you're going to come now. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's, and that's one thing that, you know, we always say that we don't know what's going to happen in the next hundred yards. That right. we, we don't know what's going to happen in the next half mile. You could be going from the bottom of despair, woe is me, to all of a sudden you're in elk Mecca, elk heaven, and oh my gosh, this is the best year we've ever had, Yeah, where just, you know, a few minutes ago you were singing the prison blues. So, <laughs> but that's, that's one thing that's so exciting about, you know, chasing elk with a bow. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and when you say about sounding like crap and having bulls come in, one time we were gutting a bull. And we're talking just like you and I are now. And then I'm trying to get Anthony and Shelby to come down. And, uh, and so we kind of do the same thing, turkey and stuff. And so I was making turkey sounds through my bugle. And then I'm like, well, maybe they just don't hear me. So I'm like, now I start bugling. That didn't work. Well, let me play smoke on the water through my bugle. And so I was like, <laughs> like bugling smoke on the water. And then right when I did that, this bull, 100 yards behind me, fires off. And it was like, seriously, like, what the heck? You... I, it just, that's why I love elk hunting right there. It's because anybody can get it done on any, it, it's just really, where's the right bull? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can, it's, you can spend a lot of time on the wrong bull and maybe kill him, or you can spend 10 minutes on the right bull and, and get it done immediately. It's just, that's why I love elk hunting, man. I mean, um, so here's another question for you. Um, we're hunting a very, very active population of elk mm-hmm. and I, um, uh, I'm pretty sure I, I read or heard this term somewhere, but I was telling Anthony and Shelby, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a dry wallow. And they're like laughing at me like, oh yeah. It's <laughs> like, was that like wallow without any, you know, just a dusty old wallow? I'm like, I think that's a dry wallow. Maybe I'm making crap up. We saw probably 15 of those. And it looked like, you know, those trail cam picks where a guy has a salt lick and all the dirt is just, all the grass is gone. It looked like those, but everywhere. And, uh, we're scratching our heads. The elk were there almost every day and we're like, what is going on here? And so do you have any experience with that or do you have any idea what the heck we were running into there? You know, I've, I've seen dry wallows in a lot of area where, you know, it's, it's quite a ways away from springs and creeks and this and that, but it's near kind of their bedroom. Um, you know, and yeah, they'll, they'll paw at the ground, they'll stick their antlers in the ground and turn it up. And it almost looks like a small little rototiller went through there and just yeah. turned it into powder. And, and, you know, then they'll get in there and they'll just start peeing all over and creating, you, you know, this mud and they'll get in there and they'll wallow around and they'll flip it around with their antlers and they'll roll in it. And, 
Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the same effect as if they go to a wet wallow. Okay. Uh, you know, it gets a little bit of mud on them, um, kind of, you know, maybe gets the flies off of them, but also it puts that nice smelling cologne on them so that yeah. they, you know, they can go attract cows. And, um, but yeah, the, the dry wallows, it's, yeah, the first time you come across it, you know, you almost sit there and look at it and go, okay, <laughs> did, did two bulls fight here? You know, yeah. did one just paw at the ground? What's, what's going on? And, and yeah, that, that picture that you showed me, I mean, that was, that was a huge dry wallow. That's, yeah, that's we saw five or six about that size. And so, uh, and then there were some about the size of a kiddie pool, you know. Yeah. But um, the majority of them were probably 10 by 12 foot. I mean, there was a lot of big ones in there. And, and that one of, of Anthony's that I sent you, um, there was like two or three within 15 yards of that one. It was yeah. just like, what in the heck are they doing here? And I'm like, I'm like, maybe there's like minerals in the ground that I don't, I don't know, but I think you're, you're, you're probably spot on there that they're just creating their own scent, you know, their own little rut place to, to go and hang out. And, and, uh, we ran into elk every time we got around those, we had run Mm -hmm. into elk. I mean, it was just like all the time. It was crazy. It was awesome. I mean, I'd never seen one before. Um, but, uh, did you have anything on your end that, that you guys had for learning experiences this year? Yes. Like, like I said, it, it, it was, you know, one of the, one of the toughest years. I mean, you know, our season started off in the first weekend, you know, those first four or five days of the season. I mean, we, we located 19 bulls. We called in 15 of them. Of those 15, we had 10 bugling. Um, they weren't, they weren't bugling to start. Um, but we just, we got into areas where, you know, cause we run trail cameras during the summer and, and, you know, we, we kind of knew their patterns. And so we just got in and started doing these kind of blind calling breeding sequences, you know, type setups. And, and that's what got those bulls engaged. That's what got them bugling. That's what, what got them coming. And then second weekend, uh, you know, again, bulls were still bachelored up. And then our third trip up, we went in and it's like the alien mothership came <laughs> in and hovered and just sucked up all the elk from this mountainside. Really? And it was crazy because we, we saw an increase of people and, and not only an increase of people, but an increase of people from out of state, which... I thought was really, really odd because where we hunt is not really an area that out of staters would pick on a map. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's not something that if, if they're deciding to go to Idaho and they look at a map and they go, I'm going right here. <laughs> and I, I actually talked to a couple of them and in the first group, I was like, well, what brought you guys to here? Oh, we have a buddy that lives in, in, in Emmett or this or that. And he just, you know, he told us, you know, where to go. And I'm like, okay. But then the other guys I talked to, they were like, oh yeah, we called fishing game. And, and, you know, they told us not only which zone, but what unit and what road to go up and where to camp and what trailhead to hike in. And I'm like, (laughs) really? Because I talked to the biologist this summer Uh to, cause this was going to be my second year. So I'm like, I want to get a better understanding of what the herd dynamics is like. I sure as heck didn't get that information from that <laughs> biologist. Oh, so, 
you know, all I got was, yeah, when we fly, we find the elk, you know, if you take the top of the ridge and come a third of the way down, that's where the elk are. And if you can find benches on that, on that line, <clears throat> you're golden. Huh. Okay, great. And then I hear the information that these non-residents are getting and I'm like, well, that's kind of BS. Yeah. But then we also had a lot more hound hunters chasing bears this year come through. And, oh. and so I think <clears throat> the combination of, you know, the increase in the hunting pressure, the hounds coming through, and, and, and I think it just, you know, pushed those elk out of there. In fact, um, in two days, we did, you know, close to 30 miles on foot. And never cut, never cut a single fresh track. Really? And then we jumped in the truck and probably did 60, 70 miles of early morning bugling and night bugling just to locate. And we ended up actually tearing down camp and moving camp 50 miles um, into the new area. And the new area, I mean, it was, it was, it was great because we, you know, we finished strong. We got into elk every day, but a few of the things that I noticed, and, and I talked about this the other night on the Wapiti Wednesday um, live Q&A that we do on the Elk Calling Academy YouTube channel and Facebook page, mm-hmm. that we found this elevated position that we would go and bugle at night just to kind of see where the bulls were so then we can kind of figure out, okay, in the morning, you know, they're probably going to go here, here, and here. <clears throat> and... I bugled most this year on the rip it one and a half from native by Carlton. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little mellower read, but I, I got to this bugle spot and I think I had let two or three bugles go and each time got responses. And I said, you know, I'm kind of curious. And I grabbed a, an, another read from another company that has extreme volume and extreme high pitch. And, and I said, you know what? I'm going to hit the doorbell. I'm going to ring the doorbell. Let's just see what elk are in this valley. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I hit that thing, it was nothing but crickets. Really? And I was like, hmm. And so it was the next morning that we were out on a hunt and, uh, you know, public ground. So we had other people hunting near us. And, and, and I just, I did a soft location bugle. And all I hear back is this bullet. you know, really soft like that. And I was like, huh. And so I kind of did that back and then he immediately hit me back. And then we heard this person on another tube that ripped a pretty loud volume Hmm. and nothing, no response. And so we kind of sat down because we were waiting for wind to change before we really moved in on this bull. But I, I really started listening to, you know, the elk and the other people that were hunting around and, we as humans and hunters are impatient. So, <laughs> and what I mean by that, I heard so many people that would, you know, throw out a bugle mm-hmm. and 20 seconds later, they're throwing out another bugle and then 20, 30 seconds, another bugle. But then when I was actually listening to the elk, you would, you, you would hear an elk, you know, in, in the timber, their volumes down they would just throw out a soft bugle and then you may not hear another one from them for three, four five minutes. And then it would, you know, kind of, 
kind of go again. And, you know, I've talked about this before, match your surroundings, you know, match what the other animals are doing around you. And, and that's really what, what we ended up doing was really evolving. And, and I mean, even the cows that we heard and, and, and how soft they were. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, game changer call that's made there in Oregon. Mm-mm. Game changer. Oh, I you got to check this out. Really? It's, it, it's called Game Changer Calls. I think the website's GC Calls or, or G4 Archery has them also. Okay. But it's about four inches long and it has a narrow end and then a wider end. But it has two latex baffles or diaphragms in there that really build a lot of back pressure. Hmm. When you call through that big end, it gives you some of the softest, most realistic cow sounds I have ever heard out of a call out there. Really? And we did all of our cow sounds through that just because it softened it up so much. And we started matching what the elk were doing. And, 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 and as far as bugling, um, you know, once we had a bull located and, and, and we went in, we really relied a lot more on those huffs, grunts, and whines and, and, and raking, you know, not, not the straight on bugle ripping this and that. Mm-hmm we relied on these other sounds that, you know, a location bugle, a bull will do a location bugle all throughout the year. But some of these sounds like raking, glunking, huffs, grunts, and whines, you know, that kind of stuff, those are only sounds that are synonymous only with the rut that you're only going to hear during September. Hmm. I mean, you're, you're not going to hear a bull out on their winter range that's going to be glunking and, and right. huffing and raking and, it's just, and so we focused on those sounds a lot more until, and I, and I wish we had a video camera on this, this one day, um, had this bull that rolled off on the top and he had one of two ridges that he could come down. And so we picked one ridge and of course he came down the opposite ridge, <laughs> but I just set up and I started doing a breeding sequence, like a bull with a hot cow, focusing heavy on the grunts, the huffs, the raking. And, and all of a sudden, his aggression level and his adrenaline started rising and rising. And I didn't rise to meet it. I kept going with what I'm doing. I, I, I'm just acting like this bull that is just blindered in, focus on this hot cow. I don't care what's going on around me. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, he just started doing just this loud scream lip ball that I... I think he was talking poorly about my mother, the way he was bugling at me. Oh, and then once I started responding to him that way, he lost his mind. Really? I mean, it was just on, but, but yeah, so, so a few things that kind of took away from this year. Um, and, and actually, um, another thing that kind of solidified it was, um, so the first two guys that I, I talked to that said they had the buddy local that, uh-huh. Well, one of them happens to follow Elk Calling Academy, and he tunes in to, you know, the Wapiti Wednesday Q&As each oh. night. <laughs> when we were relocating camp, he was coming back in to hunt. He lives in Illinois, and he was just coming back in. And I told him, I said, dude, don't, uh, don't waste your time. And so he pulled out his phone with OnX, and, and, you know, I looked at some of the areas that he had marked, and I said, you know, if I were you, I would go here. And lo and behold, he went in there and killed a bull the next day. Really? 
But listening to him, it was a two and a half hour encounter that he matched his surrounding. He paid attention to the pace that the bull was doing and he matched that pace hmm. and, and, and just kind of, you know, took his time. I mean, it's not a sprint. It's, it's, it's a marathon. I mean, especially if you get on this bull early in the morning, where are you going to go? You, you've got all day. Right. So take your time and, and, you know, listening to, to him, you know, talk about that. And I was like, man, you know, that is exactly how this whole year went. There was, there was just, you had to really be patient. Hmm. Basically just raising that temperature of the bull to where you could get him to where he'd want to fight or, um, I mean, cause yeah, it was crazy, huh. but it wasn't, it wasn't being overly aggressive. It, 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 it wasn't trying to rush the situation. It was letting the story develop, I guess, is the best way you could say it. Okay. Well, I mean, and that's hunting a high pressured bull, right? I mean, maybe one that's rutting pretty good, but he's just really highly pressured. Yes. Cause, um, we, we've hunted some really high pressured areas too, where you just can't kick the elk out of there. They want to be there. They're there every day, but there's also hunters there. And, um, I think you and I actually talked about this before is the whisper bugles that I kept hearing. Like he's only a hundred yards away, but you could barely hear him. And then, um, you know, and then, so I'm, I'm bugling quietly cause I don't want to call on other hunters. But then when I start bugling quietly, it just goes crazy. It's like, well, where were these other elk 10 minutes ago when I was screaming at them? You know, like maybe there is something to that. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Like in my head, the louder I am, the more ball, the more bulls I'll hear back or maybe the more bulls I'll call in. But in reality, like you said, match your environment and having a little bit more patience might pay dividends. I mean, it, I've seen it happen on that one spot and then listening to you talk. I mean, there's definitely gotta be something there. So, yeah, you know, and, 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 it, it was so funny too, cause, um, you know, like I said, Bryce and I have hunted together for several years and his, his son, Brandon has, has hunted with us and, you know, Brandon is, is 20 and we, we leave camp in the dark and we come back in the dark. We, we like to stay, you know, on the mountain because you never know when those bulls are going to get up during the middle of the day and start cracking off and they're moving to water or, um, you know, they, they get up and they start feeding and, and I, I told those guys, I said, okay. I said, we know there's elk in the area. I said, elk are curious animals. I said, let's just set up here for a little while. You know, you guys get on each side of me. I'm just going to let two or three soft cow calls. And then I'm going to wait four or five minutes. And I'm going to let go with two or three soft cow calls again. And so I took my pack off and laid it down. Of course, I laid down with my head on the pack and tilted my hat down and you know, I had the, had the reed hanging in the, in the lips and, uh, all of a sudden all this commotion goes off. You know, we'd, we'd been there, I don't know, 30 minutes or so hmm. and all this commotion goes off and I jump up and I'm like, what's going on? And Bryce is like, oh, there was a, there was a spike in a cow that were coming in. Um, but Brandon jumped up like a jack in the box up to his feet <laughs> and just rolling and, you know, and they bust it. And I was like, oh. And I said, man, I was, I was just starting to fall asleep. And they go, oh, no, you were asleep. They go, it was pretty impressive because you would snore a little bit and then you would pop the reed back in your mouth, let two or three <laughs> calls, 
pop the reed out of your mouth and then you would start snoring a little bit again. And I'm like, okay, so was it the cow sounds or was it the snoring that actually brought the bull in? So, um, and you know, so yeah, I, I guess I can uh, multitask when I'm taking a nap on the mountainside. But I, but I think those are little things that, you know, people don't normally do. You, you know, you, you know, those elk go to bed when they go to bed, just kind of leave them alone, hang, hang. And, and you don't have to be right on top of them. I mean, you could be 150 yards, 175 yards away and just do a couple of these soft cow calls. And it's not like you're doing a big extravagant routine. It's just a couple of soft cow calls, wait four or five minutes and do a couple of soft cow calls again. They're curious. They know you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, after they've taken their little nap and they've, they've emptied the contents of their stomach and they get up and they're milling around, they're going to come over and check you out. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not going to bugle and come running in and this and that. They're going to come in quietly. But if somebody just wanted to go out and get an elk, any elk, it didn't matter, spiked, cow, you know, young raghorn or whatever, that is such an effective technique mm-hmm. just for punch and attack. So, but... I think we all focus so much on those bugle battles. We want yeah. those bugle battles. We want that peak rut and that, and that, and that excitement that, that I think we just kind of focus on that a little too much sometimes. Right. I was talking to it. That's funny. Cause I was talking to a guy that I think 12 years in a row now he's filled his elk tag, but he's like, I'm doing spot and stock, man. And it's just not doing it for me anymore. I'm like, you've killed an elk 12 years in a row and you're, you're complaining. He's like, yeah, cause they're not bugling back. You know, he's like, I'm missing half of the point of, of why I like to elk hunt it's, it's to get that, get that experience, you know, like, and I'm like, I could see that, you know, not killing a bull that was, that was really, you're missing out. (laughs) So, um, I, I want to go kind of take you into raking here because, um, we, we hunted some, we hunt some extremely pressured areas. I mean, quarter mile from highways and it's just these tiny little pockets that people hunt all around and those all kind of get pushed in that little pocket. Well, we hunted an area where, that we always hunt that that little pocket except there was people there this time everywhere and uh we we used raking and then the last three or four years now raking has been the thing that has gotten those bulls to come in and Mm -hmm. it's almost like bring me you're tired you're weary (laughs) you know these these bulls are these bulls are tired of getting called at they're really weary and that raking just even just a chuckle with a rake yeah what have you guys been, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'm just saying that's been really effective for us lately. Has that been um, your experience on highly pressured bulls at all? Or when do you, when would you start raking over bugling? You know, actually raking is, is kind of a pretty important component on the whole breeding sequence, you know, that we do. Um, you know, it kind of goes back to, uh, yeah you know, I've been at seminars and in sports shows and talking to people and, and, you know, it's amazing how many people that it will start telling a story and they're like, yeah, we're up there bugling and, and the elk just wouldn't respond. And I said, well, what were they doing? Well, we could hear him over there raking, but he just wouldn't respond. And I'm like, okay, you do understand that raking is a response, yeah. but, but everybody gets so focused on a response being a bull bugling back, hmm. but a response could be the raking it could be just a low growl or grunt. It could be chuckles or it could be him just coming to you. Those are all responses. And, and yeah, in, in high pressured areas, 
you know, they get into the timber and they start doing a lot of these responses or vocalizations that aren't that loud, that don't carry and drift or cover a lot of ground because, you know, really that, that bull's not really sounding off and displaying for all the other elk around. He's, he's, he's establishing and showing his dominance for that group of cows that he has right there. Mm-hmm. You know, he's basically solidifying why they chose him as the dominant bull to breed. And, and so that's what they are. But yeah, raking can be an extremely effective tool that I think is one of those things that gets overlooked. In fact, that, that one bull that I told you that, that, you know, I was doing the sequence and, and slowly building him up, I was moving around quite a bit because, I mean, I'm trying to portray a bull chasing a hot cow. They're not going to stay in this little two foot by two foot box. They're going to move around. But I had four different trees that I was raking on. And as soon as I found a good stick to rake, I would lean it up against that tree so that when I came back to that tree, my raking stick was right there. (laughs) And for the rest of the season, when we went back in there, every time I walked by, those sticks were still leaning against those trees and I was just (laughs) chuckling. So, um, but yeah, raking is, is, is one of those things that uh, you know, bulls will do to kind of establish a little bit of dominance or show a little bit of dominance that, that like I said, it's close proximity. They've got bulls around them. And, and that raking is, is that display of dominance a little bit. Um, but it's one of those things that is not going to carry a long ways out. So if you have a high predator population area or a um, high amount of hunting pressure, you know, these, these, these bulls know that they can get into this area and do this raking. And, and like you said, you've touched on it. Everybody hunts the outside perimeter. Well, what do all those people on the outside perimeter do? Mm-hmm. They let a few cow calls. They bugle, they bugle, they cow call, they bugle, they cow call. And all of a sudden that bull just stops raking and he's just looking up at the hill, looking, looking up the hill going, I'm not going to answer you. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, why did he, you know, why did he stop breaking? You know, he, he must've left and they'll get the wind puffer out and check the wind. And you know, I, I, I don't know. Let's just, let, let's just go bugle and find another bull that's bugling. <laughs> so, but had they just kind of match what they were hearing again, match your surrounding mm-hmm. match the cues that the bulls are giving you match the sounds that those bulls are giving you match his intensity and it's amazing how much just matching that can all of a sudden within 15, 20 minutes, then all of a sudden turn into a full on screen fest where you're pushing that diaphragm read to its limits because you're putting max tongue pressure and max air pressure and screaming at this dude. Right. So, um, so we talked about the, uh, the 90% earlier, you know, uh-huh. the, the everything, it's pretty much it's from where, where you locate the bull to where you kill the bull pretty much the call setup and stuff. Um, I had a scenario this year and it's through all the podcasts and a lot of failures and stuff. And it, granted that bull I got this year was a Rosie. Um, they're way more territorial. Like they'll die on that little anthill that you're calling to them on sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and I kept thinking, you know, cause I've been hunting Rockies most, mostly a lot is I'll go 90, maybe you'll go 10, you know, and, and we'll seal the deal. But, um, what what reminded me of that bull is you talking about that pitchfork bull right where you went went up on the same level 
Well, here, you know, that 10% that I think a lot of people get is that maybe they'd stick below that bull and they just keep calling, trying to calm down, calm down, calm down. And he's answering every time, but he ain't coming. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for about two hours and about a hundred yards. And, and it's, you got about 45 minutes of daylight left. I'm like, I've been here. I've done this. He's going to do this until dark. And then I'm going to leave without a bowl. I'm like, I need to go up, get on his level. And then maybe he'll come to me. And he didn't do that. So I'm like, well, I got to go to him. I walked within 18 yards of him. But I mean, what are the most common mistakes, I guess, is where I'm leading that. Because I knew the mistake I was making. And I think a guy that was more experienced would have killed that bull within an hour. You know, right. it, you know, the only reason I worked that bull for two hours is because I was too chicken shit to go in there, you know. <laughs> so what are, the, what are the common mistakes? You know, the guys can get the 90% down, but what would be the 10%? What would be some tips that you, guys, that you would get to, to get that 10% um, better so, success? So I, I, I think the number one important thing that a lot of people kind of drop the ball on is their setups. So, um, you, you know, really, you, your setup is the most critical piece. So you, that, that bull has to feel comfortable coming in Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like you said, you're below that bull, that bull is above. Well, as you're working up a hill, we've all been there. You're, 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 you're working up the hill, you're looking up and you just can't see much at all. But then as soon as you get some elevation, you turn around and you look back down and it's like, holy cow, yeah, it really opened up. I can see a lot more. Yeah. Well, that's how this bull is with that elevated position. He's going to be able to see down a lot more than you are seeing up. So he could probably see down to where that sound's coming from. And he's like, eh, I'm not seeing, seeing a bull. So um, the other thing on setups is you know, I hear a lot from people, yeah, I was above this bull and calling and he just – he just wouldn't commit. He wouldn't come. And I'm like, okay, think of battle strategies. Think of yeah. the old days of Knights of the uh, you know, Round Table. Who has the advantage? That person that has the elevated position. Same thing here. This bull knows. I mean, you're portraying a bull. You have elevated position on him. You, you have advantage. So, but it's more than just getting on that same level. It's also figuring out his hangup point. You know, what's going to be the point that he's going to get to, to where he should be able to see the elk that's making that noise. Mm. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter how far back from the shooter we get. It matters where he's going to get to that point that he should be able to see that elk that's making the noise and whether your shooter is close to that spot or not. So the first thing we do in our setup is, you know, we know where the bull's at. We've pinpointed him. We know where he's at. So before we really set up, the first thing I do with the group is we figure out where, we figure out where that elk's hang-up point. You know, we're on the same level. Okay, we figured out the path that he's going to come in. There's not blowdowns. There's not brush. Okay, this is probably where he's going to hang up we're going to set the shooter here and then I will look back to where I'm going to set up as the caller. And then, okay, how far can I see? Okay. I can see to that tree or that bush. I want to be 15 to 20 yards behind that tree beyond that bush, which means he's going to have to come past that hangup point that we've already selected where our shooter is already set up. Mm-hmm. 
The other mistakes that I've seen is that shooter out front move. Okay. The shooter, I, I mean, especially when you're new to elk hunting, that shooter needs to stay put. Let the caller do the job. It's the caller's responsibility to move where he's at to bring that bull by the shooter. Mm. Well, if that shooter's up there moving, you don't know where he's at. So it, it makes it really, really, really tough. That's a good point. And the other mistake I see a lot is that shooter get up there and it's lonely up there as the shooter. <laughs> I mean, you have this caller behind you, he's making all this sound and dang it, you just want to get in on the action. So you throw out a couple of cow calls to be <laughs> in the mix because you want that bull to think that, man, this bull has even more cows than what you thought before. Well, now you just change that whole hang up spot because mm. now that bull all of a sudden goes, Oh, Hey, there's elk a little closer to me than what I thought there was. Cool. And so that hang up and that whole dynamic of that setup completely changes because of that. So I never thought of that. And I was thinking maybe you're, yeah, I mean that, that's something that I never even thought about. And I probably done, you know, it's like, Oh, let's try and make it sound a little bit more realistic. Let's add another layer to this. And then, well, now you, now he's only going to go to where he can see the shooter. You know, he's not going to come through him. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, these are all, these are all mistakes that we've, we've all made. I've, I've made them over yeah. the years. I, I still make mistakes. So, and I think another big mistake is I kind of touched on it earlier is we get a little impatient. You know, we don't let things develop. We want to rush things. And, and, and I think a lot of people are like, well, man, if I call more or I call louder or I get more aggressive, it's going to make that bull come faster. Yeah. Well, no, because you're kind of taking that realism out of what you were doing and just you've thrown it out the window because now you're, you don't have that realism anymore. You're not matching your surroundings anymore. So like you, you know, you touched on it, the, that, that whisper bugle. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, maybe you're just back there doing some, some grunts, you know, some soft chuckles, some rake in and, you know, this bull is, yeah, he's re his interest is really increasing, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, okay, next time he bugles, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to scream at him. But he hasn't shown that level of aggression at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, he just does this <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's easy to do because we just, you know, we get wrapped up in the situation. We get wrapped up in that excitement. And yeah. I don't know how many times when I'm back behind calling for my hunting partners that I just, I, I have this grin ear to ear and I'm almost laughing and chuckling and going, you know, this is, this is the coolest thing in the world, you know, to, to engage and interact with these elk and, right. and, you know, to see them responding to what you're doing. And it's just, it's cool, but yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in that, in that excitement. So it is, I mean, where else other than your dog, can you really actually communicate with an animal? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, maybe a moose and stuff like that where you can get them to do what you want, but it's elk, you know, even a moose doesn't make a bugle. I mean, no, I just, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It's like, you know, I went on a, on a hunting trip this year and you paid all this money to go on it. And I'm like, still doesn't beat a bugle still doesn't beat still doesn't beat elk hunting like these guys are traveling thousands of miles to where i'm at to come hunt elk and it's like i can understand that but 
I don't know. I mean, I just, there's a reason elk hunting is my favorite. And I'm sure it's the same reason, you know, for years it's, it's a chess match and every situation. Yeah. I don't know. I just love the chess match. It's, it's literally thinking on your feet. And I like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just so fun and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it's, no, I, I love elk hunting so much. It's, it's awesome. But, um, it, well, I, I think we've gotten, gotten into plenty on this episode. Is there any, is there anything else that you wanted to go over, Mike? You know, there's, there's, there's always so much information. It's, it's <laughs> one of those things that, uh, I mean, I think last time we went two hours, I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty easy <laughs> to sit down and go two, three, four hours. Um, oh, for sure. You know, biggest thing is I just, I, I love the fact that, that so many people are so thirsty for elk knowledge right now, that, that the excitement and I, I think people are really starting to learn that there's not just this one cookie cutter way of calling elk that you know, you, you can take all these different styles or approaches to calling elk and you can kind of morph them and kind of create your own style. And that's, that's, you know, one thing that I'm seeing from, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of our students and, and, and I mean, elk calling Academy students had a, had a great year. I've still got a ton more pictures to, to post of, you know, success stories and stuff. And, um, you know, did, did each and every one of those follow, the teachings to a T. No, some of them modified it a little bit. Some of them are like, Hey, you know, we were in this situation, we were in this scenario and we recognize this. And that's the big part right there Mm -hmm. is, is I think if more people really studied elk vocalizations and elk behavior, Mm -hmm. their body language, how they respond. And there's a ton of resources out there. There's a ton of videos on YouTube just watch their body language and listen to their vocalizations. And if you can watch their, bo- their, their body language and their posturing and couple that with the vocalization that's coming out, you, you start to recognize situations more. And, and, and I think the, the, the thing is, is you're no longer hunting like a human robot. You know, you're not doing the same thing as everybody else. Yeah. You're, you're, you're kind of thinking like an elk and you're kind of acting like an elk and you're sounding like an elk and responding like an elk. And, and, and I think that's the thing that um, would really, really contribute to a lot of people's success. Hmm. And it, it's, it's just one of those things that sounds simple, but I think it's overlooked so much. Hmm. Well, I was really excited this year because, uh, you know, basically feeding off of that, basically sounding different i had a call this year and um i don't even know if it's out yet it's this one but it's got a fatter read on it it's it's uh-huh. and um i was told it wasn't even out yet and that i could use it this year but and uh i was so pumped up because i'm like i'm not gonna sound like anybody else out in the woods you know like i'm gonna get my own everything and and uh i i just i just think there's so much to you know I've even been called out by a hunter that we, we kind of called each other in one time. And he's like, what, what were you doing? I'm like, sounding like elk. And he's like, I've never heard elk sound like that. I'm like, well, he got you to come in, didn't it? You know, like it's just sounding a little bit unorthodox and, and just, I don't know, just 
just that step step ladder bugle and and everything. You never know. I mean, even Corey Jacobson had one time where he was calling this bull and he was hunting with a, a bunch of people. And I remember him, him telling a story. He's like, one of the guy um, had a hoochie mom and he kind of like, you know, that bull's going away. I already called at him. And then one of the guy hits the hoochie mom and that bull turns around and comes in. <laughs> you know, it's like, what does that bull hear that he likes over that call? And, and uh, do you carry different calls just for that? Maybe if you aren't having success with a call and then you switch just because you're switching sounds. I mean, I, I've done that. I mean, I don't know if that that's smart or not, but. I do. I, I always have, you know, six or seven different diaphragm reads that are tuned and ready. And each one has, you know, a little bit different pitch, a little bit different tone. Same thing with open read cow calls. Um, I think this year I had three or four, you know, in my pack at the same time, just to kind of, you know, mix up a little different pitch, a little different tone. Cause I, I mean, you, you don't know, you know, what that bull is going to strike. But once you finally do get a response, stay with that call, stay with, stay with that. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the other thing. I think we talked about this on the first one, just, just a little bit is, is recognizing the bull's responses to what you're doing. Hmm. If you're out there cow calling, you're doing cow sounds and that bull bugles and he's responding, stay with the cow sounds. If he, if he responds to your bugles, stay with your bugle, you know, tune, tune in. They'll, they'll let you know. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that totally makes sense. And, and we could hit on this for another hour, man. <laughs> I know. But, no. uh, well, I, I totally appreciate you coming back on the show. It's always fun having you. And I think what we need to do is we need to do some sort of giveaway. And, yeah. uh, you know, even, even if it's, you know, me, me buying a, a free, a, a free lesson or something for one of my listeners, I would totally be down to do that. And, uh, what, you know, for guys that are wanting to buy your lessons, mm -hmm. can you, can you give them some details on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the lessons, um, are, are usually $30 per lesson. Okay. Each lesson, I, I, I say last about an hour. Um, <laughs> we are talking about elk hunting. So sometimes <laughs> it does go hour and five hour and 10 hour and 15. Uh -huh. Um, and, and I, I run, specials sometimes where it's uh you know four lessons for a hundred bucks oh wow you know? okay um and and run those and really within the lessons it's it's we cover everything i mean we cover elk biology we cover the stages of the rut we cover how to find elk, what to look for how to read a map and find elk, uh cow vocalizations what they mean how to do them what type of, what time of year that they're really going to come into play same thing with bull vocalizations and then really towards the end, I open up my playbook and I just say, this is exactly what I do. This is how I start my morning. This is what I do. This is the sounds that I use. If I get a response, this is what I do. Then I set up. And I think the biggest thing or the best thing I ever heard was, how can you write a book for a story that hasn't even happened yet? Hmm. And what that means is each encounter with a bull is so different that there's not really a set deal saying this is what you need to do every situation. So, so really, my playbook per se is how I start, how I engage that elk, how I open up the lines of communication. Now, once we're communicating, it can go so many different directions based on the responses he's giving me. Hmm. 
So now the cool thing about the uh, lessons is you don't have to live in the Boise area. So those students that are in the Boise area do come over the house and we sit face to face. Everybody else, and I have students all over the U.S., uh, even all the way out on the East Coast in Florida and California, and I use Zoom video conferencing, which is free to the students. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing is, is I record that lesson. So as soon as we're done, they get emailed a recording. So they can sit there and watch that recording over and over and over again. And I think it stays in my back office for three weeks or a month before it falls out. So they have three weeks or a month of watching that over and over. So, you know, usually like if somebody has four lessons, we do one lesson a week because there's a little bit of homework mm -hmm. build on it. So, you know, that person four weeks worth of lessons that stays a month each man, they can sit there and rewatch that lesson over and over and over again for a month. And then same thing with the second lesson and the third lesson and the fourth lesson. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, easiest way is if they're interested just from the Elk Calling Academy Facebook page, just, uh, you know, shoot me a message. And um, next week I'm getting cranked back up with lessons. And I thought it was going to kind of calm down. I told my wife and kids, I said, hey, lessons aren't going to be like they were in July and August. Well, next week is booked. The week after that is booked. And <laughs> A guy's so, got their butt kicked. They want to know why. <laughs> well, but I think that's great because you're coming off the mountain in these situations and scenarios you've got into are fresh in your head. Mm -hmm. And to ask the questions like you talked about and yep. to be able to talk those through and then go, oh man, okay, that makes complete and utter sense. So, exactly. and yeah, as, as, as far as the giveaway, um, you know, if you want to do a giveaway, I'd be more than happy to uh, donate a, a two or three lesson package if yeah, you want to in, in uh we, we can work, we can definitely work the the details out on that but i mean you could even put me down on a on a photo on your instagram because i used ton of information on that first podcast about the challenge bugles about the the roundup bugle all that stuff and and i i completely changed my bugles this year to where i didn't chuckle you'd be proud of me i didn't chuckle a tenth of what i used to chuckle and because i'd bugle and chuckle and didn't really matter what bugle I did. I'd always chuckle at the end. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I changed that and I was, I was, I was thinking through, you know, after, after our conversation, I'm like, what am I, you know, what am I saying? You know, like it just, it made it way more confident in the bugle and just having that extra confidence knowing, Hey, I'm saying the right thing right now. I'm putting the ball on his court. I'm not going to blow him out of here. Cause I'm not lip balling when I shouldn't, you know, it just, that extra added confidence, I, I really do honestly think, um, like that bull I killed this year, you know, there's, there's multiple account podcasts and that one where you and I did, basically I'm getting free lessons talking to you on here, you know. There you go. That's, that's, that's <laughs> so, awesome. So was, yeah, conf confidence is key. It was awesome. But um, yeah, well, let's, let's work out the details on that. And, um, and like I said, I, I, I honestly really hope people I, I'm thinking like, like me, I have all these experiences that I can't understand. Even just buying one hour and saying, Hey, I ran into this. I ran into this. I ran into this. Can you walk me through what happened here? That's super valuable. Cause now you're taking that experiences and now you're actually learning from a situation that was a question mark. And now mm -hmm. you know, probably what happened. And so it's just speeding up that learning curve. And like I said, I learned something. I learn a ton every year. 
you know. And you're, you're exactly right. Um, you know, a question I get a lot from, from people is, well, how many lessons does the average person do? Well, define average person and really <laughs> – that's a loaded question. What do you want to get out of it? Because yeah, I did have a couple of students that just bought one lesson. Uh -huh. You know, they're like, Hey, I've been calling for a while. Haven't found success. And off that one lesson, they found success this year. And then on the flip side, I had a, stu I, I had a student this year that did 26 lessons with me. Really? 26 lessons. He had the most phenomenal season that he, I, I mean, he sent me a recap and the number of bulls hunting the same place he always has, but the number of bulls he encountered, the number of bulls he called in and, you know, he sent me a text. He goes, I want three more lessons. I want to go through all these scenarios that we got into this year. Uh -huh. so, so everybody's a little bit different. It's just what you want out of it. How much work do you want to put into it and what your goals are? That's yeah. the biggest thing with everybody. Knowledge is power. <laughs> I mean, if I would have had all the experiences that I've had, you know, with uh, previous encounters, I know for a fact I would have capitalized on so many bulls, so many bulls in, in, in the past if I would have known what I know now, you know, and, and I can't wait to see where I'm at in 10 years from now, you know, and saying if I would have known what I know 10 years, you know, ago, it's just, it's a never ending thing. But well, I'll let you get going here, Mike. Thanks again Appreciate for coming it. back onto the podcast, man. You're always such a wealth of knowledge. And, uh, I'm looking forward to already having you back on again when I have more, more experiences and stuff. Oh, I, absolutely. I'd come back in a heartbeat. Definitely uh, appreciate you having me on. It's, it's, it's a pleasure and a lot of fun. So, all right, man. Well, you have a good night and take care. You too. Thank you. See ya. Bye-bye. Oh, all right, guys. That's this week's episode of the podcast. Mike and I talked about doing a giveaway towards the end. If you want to get entered in that giveaway, I'll make it a couple different ways to get entered. But as always... One best way to get entered is to leave a five-star review with a comment. Now, with a comment, and that's very important because I can't see who left that review without a comment, and you won't get entered in the giveaway if you don't leave one. So leave a five-star review with a comment, get yourself entered, and then also follow me on Instagram at on point with Garrett Weaver, and that will also keep you up to date with the other giveaways and then also be able to maybe get multiple um, entries in the same giveaway. So uh, be sure to follow along there. I'll be doing that very shortly. Uh, but as always, guys, appreciate you listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.